0: Hey guys, it's Michelle, host of the Simply Intuitive podcast. I am a registered dietitian, a certified personal trainer, and a big proponent of all things intuitive eating. So on this show, I aim to educate you about intuitive eating and really just making health and wellness simple, sustainable, and accessible. So that is what we generally talk about. And today I'm really excited because I am going to be giving you a breakdown of everything I learned at fency And I'll tell you exactly what fency is in a moment. Um, I'm currently laying on the floor of the Airbnb that I am staying at in Denver. I have been here for almost a week. The first three days I was here were for um, fency which I will continue to refer to. And it's an acronym. FNCE is an acronym for the Food and Nutrition Conference and Expo. So This is the big national nutrition conference for all registered dietitians put on by the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. And this was my first time at the conference. I had never been um, because it just never worked out in terms of location and logistics or price. It's pretty expensive to come. So I was very excited to be coming for the first time and to go to a lot of the sessions so that I could learn. Um, The conference has a lot of educational sessions where we get continuing ed credits, and they're on all different topics. So this was not an eating disorder conference or an anti-diet conference or anything specific to the nutrition approach that I personally take. It was about just all things nutrition. There were some clinical nutrition talks, some on fertility nutrition, some about Um, obesity drugs, some about pediatric nutrition, and then yes, some about eating disorders, athletics, different things that are more up my alley. So I really went to a variety of these sessions and that was very intentional. Um, I did not go just to the eating disorder sessions because I think it's really important to get outside of our bubble in in nutrition, as a dietitian, and just in life, you know, it's so easy to silo yourself and to, you know, be in an echo chamber of hearing the same things and the same opinions. And I I think that happens really easily in the anti-diet space where people are just always around other intuitive eating providers. And it's amazing. I mean, I love that. It's amazing. It's great to connect with people who have the same approach and mindset that I do, And I also get clients who come to me and have questions about all the diet stuff they hear. And I want to know the research and the information so that I can answer those questions and I have that information. I don't want to just like tell myself diets are wrong, therefore I'm going to block out everything entirely. No. No. I want to know what's happening. I want to know what's being promoted in the world. I want to know what my clients are hearing about and seeing, and I want to have the answers. I want to know what's true. And I think that a lot of being anti-diet and being rooted in intuitive eating is about knowing all of this stuff, like knowing your opponent, because we are the, uh, I guess you could say minority um, in the nutrition space, which I don't know if that's actually true. I, I like don't know what The numbers are for how many intuitive eating providers there are versus weight loss or weight centric providers. I would guess we are the minority. Um, So, yeah, I just wanted to learn all the science um, because I want to know all sides and equip my clients to make informed decisions. So, I hope that is appreciated. That being said, I will be talking about everything and will use the words that the speakers use sometimes mentioning things like obesity, overweight, all of that. And I'm just presenting the facts and what I heard and what I learned. So that is why. um, And we can dive on in. So I'm sitting here with my notebook right next to me with all of my notes from the sessions. And I'm just going to run through these, tell you what the session topic is, um, and then also share with you what what I learned and then my opinion on it, kind of my personal take. So the first um, session that I went to was one of my favorites and it was about ultra processed foods. And this is, I think, so important to learn about and really understand what these different things are and what like the lingo means because a lot of people talk about processed foods, meaning ultra processed foods. So ultra processed foods, we're defined as foods that include ingredients of exclusive industrial use. So foods that have an ingredient that is not a food on its own, that is like only used for industrial use was the word they use. So like those preservatives and those things that you don't just eat by themselves. So they have emulsifiers, they have gums, you kind of see those like stabilizers, those ingredients that you tend to not recognize, but you see them in a lot of foods. That's typically what they are. They just help with the shelf life of the food. And that is what makes something ultra processed. So foods like rolled oats are technically processed, but when people talk about processed foods being bad, they're typically not talking about processed foods, they're talking about ultra-processed foods. Canned vegetables, for example, processed, but if they're just canned without salt or any preservatives, they're not bad for you. It's literally just a vegetable. Um, and so, again, that is a processed food that's not harmful. It's the ultra-processed food that people typically are talking about when they are talking and thinking about them in a negative way. So that's what we're talking about. And the reason that ultra processed foods are usually seen as bad, unhealthy, harmful to our bodies is because um, of a few things. They usually do have added sugar and they lack fiber. So The fiber piece is important because most Americans do not eat enough fiber. And so when most Americans are also eating mostly ultra-processed foods, and this is talking about the standard American diet. So I spoke about this in a previous episode about why you can't take general nutrition advice when you are someone working on recovery from an eating disorder or disordered eating because that advice is geared towards the standard American diet, not towards disordered eating. Um, so anyone eating the standard American diet is not having enough fiber and then mostly eating ultra processed foods, which really lack fiber because fiber comes from fruits and vegetables and whole foods, whole grains. And fiber is really protective of our health. It's, it's good for us. It lowers cholesterol, lowers blood pressure. It prevents colon cancer. It has a lot of benefits. So that was a negative Interestingly, they also pointed out that ultra-processed foods can have more calcium and iron because a lot of packaged foods are fortified with nutrients that we tend to lack. So it can be useful in some ways to have something ultra-processed that has fortification. So we can't really like write everything off. This is a nuanced topic, and I think the presenters did a good job at talking about all sides because they did recognize there are some things that maybe not necessarily are beneficial, but that we just need to take note of. So the reason that a lot of people think these are bad and will cause overeating, this was, I thought, very interesting. Um, So there are two satiety signals in our body um, two hormones, PYY and GLP one that send satiety messages. These are released from a part of the intestines when the food gets to the small intestines. So our food is digested. Digestion begins in our mouth, goes down into our stomach and then into our intestines. And in the ileum, which is in the small intestines, that beginning part of the intestines, once it hits there, we start getting those signals saying, okay, We've got food in the body. We're starting to feel full. So when you're eating whole foods, you get certain amounts of those satiety signals that tell you here's how much food you've had and when you should stop eating. With these ultra processed foods, because they lack fiber, they don't make us feel as full because they are more quickly digested. So since they don't have as much fiber, the food is a very easily digested food. And by the time it's gone through your mouth and your stomach and your small intestines and it hits the ileum, there's just not as much food there. So we're not getting as much of those satiety signals. So we don't feel as full from these types of foods. And I thought that was really interesting. The other way that they... Prevent us from feeling full or just kind of make us not feel as full is related to gut bacteria. So, fiber feeds our gut bacteria. We have a lot of bacteria in our gut, that's the microbiome. And in the large intestines, that gut bacteria is fed. It needs fiber to do its job. And, you know, that's why um, having a variety of foods in your diet. Is good for your gut because the bacteria want to eat a variety of things to just be their healthiest. So fiber feeds that gut bacteria, and then when the gut bacteria has fiber and it's being fed, it creates something called short-term fatty short-chain fatty acids. Not short-term. Um, and those short-chain fatty acids, once they are created by the gut bacteria, they also promote satiety and feeling full. So. If that all starts with fiber feeding the gut bacteria, allowing it to create this short-chain fatty acid product that helps us feel full. And if ultra-processed foods do not have much, if any, fiber, they're not helping us feel full. So this is kind of what it comes down to and why most people say like, oh, these things are bad. You know, we just hear the blanket statement, processed food is bad. But with this understanding of why, okay, it's because they don't have fiber. They don't help us feel full. It's easier to eat a lot more of them, to be getting a lot more added sugar and to not be getting enough fiber. The presenters did also acknowledge the fact that processed foods, ultra processed foods are easily accessible. They can be more affordable. Um, They take less time to eat because there really is no preparation. So there is a level of privilege that comes with avoiding ultra processed foods completely and that is something important to remember and i was really glad that they mentioned that and for someone who does have the ability to access fresh foods and to limit their ultra processed foods you can think about it in a holistic way of okay i know that these foods don't make me feel as full as a homemade meal So if I'm having some of them as a snack, can I pair them with something else? Can I pair the chips with an apple that has a lot of fiber in it? Um, And it's about looking at your diet holistically. Where does this fit and how can I add to it to add nutrition? As well as just looking at the big picture. What am I having most of the time? Are these ultra processed foods more of like filling in the gaps um, or are they primarily what I'm eating? And then you can see kind of how or if you need to balance things out. A couple other notes about those. They did mention that the the gums and emulsifiers, those substances that create the definition of the ultra processed food do have an inflammatory effect on the gut. So for a healthy gut microbiome, like we said, fiber feeds the, the microbiome. So we want to be having those whole foods and it does create a low grade inflammation to be eating mostly ultra processed foods. So again, we like this is something we want to moderate as much as possible within reason without it getting disordered and having that mental negative impact. So it's very nuanced and if this is something that you struggle with mentally of like how do I create this balance? That is one of my favorite things to help clients with. I work with a lot of clients, all clients really, in their recovery from disordered eating or eating disorders and getting to the stage of being able to incorporate gentle nutrition and talk about and talk about and understand what is health promoting while still maintaining the level of flexibility that helps you be an intuitive eater is really my favorite thing to do. And that's what gets people to that stage of full, full recovery. So um, reach out. Read the show notes, click on the link, book a call with me if you want help with balancing that. So that is everything on the ultra processed food session. The next one I went to was called a bottom-up approach to trauma-based eating disorders. This was about treating eating disorders with a trauma-informed lens and really focusing. I'm going to kind of like go briefly through this one because it was less about the the food. Um, it wasn't about food, actually. It was just more about rather than jumping into the food challenges and the nutrition and the quantities and the numbers and the, well, not that I ever really talk about numbers. It's about first creating a sense of safety and how like nothing is going to matter when you're still feeling stressed out and dysregulated. If that's the case, then challenging yourself with a chocolate muffin is like so irrelevant. So it was really about starting at the bottom, creating that sense of safety, helping with that feeling of regulation before moving on to the more mental challenges with food. Something that was interesting, I I wrote down this comment that one of the speakers made about boundaries and how boundaries are important in life, in relationships, and we have a relationship with food. So you can think of boundaries with food as well. And she said, when we want food to solve all of our emotional problems, So with an eating disorder, when you are leaning on food, whether it's restricting food, eating only particular foods, binging on food, and you are looking at that to be the answer emotionally for everything, everything that is crossing food's boundary. And it might sound a little cheesy, but when you think about like, yes, I, we have a relationship with food. There are boundaries there. We can't expect a hundred percent from anyone. So we also can't expect a hundred percent Of answers from food. And I thought that was a a really good point and a comment that I really loved. Um, A couple of other notes from that that eating disorder treatment talk were some analogies. One speaker made the comparison of a riptide versus a wave in recovery and how recovery is not really like riding a wave. It's more like being in a riptide and if you're caught in a riptide, the advice is to not fight it. But you actually have to relax into it and then it will naturally carry you back to shore. And so, in recovery, you know, the way to move through it and to be carried back to shore is to lean into it rather than fighting it. So, I thought that was a really good analogy. They also gave some information that the brain is the last organ to heal in recovery and that timeline can be one to two years for your brain to be fully healed from the eating disorder so just recognizing like this takes time those thoughts can and will change and you have to stick at it so that was that one um the next session I didn't love, and I'm I'm going to skip over. I didn't have much to say. But plant milk versus milk was an interesting one. This was a debate about kind of like which one is best, which one is better for our health. And it really did um, – what is the word I am looking for? I don't know. It just really uh, reinforced everything – that I tell my clients. So I was very happy to hear this. The uh, The takeaways that I took were that, the takeaways that I took, that is such a redundant thing to say, I took takeaways. <laughs> my takeaways were that milk is not bad for us. Milk is a solid source of calcium, of phosphorus, of vitamin D, it is fortified with vitamin D and of protein. And that's something that I think is really important to recognize because with these trends leaning towards plant milks, most of them do not have protein. Almond milk, I like to call glorified water, doesn't have protein. Oat milk, it's oats. There's no protein. Um, Soy milk is the plant milk that does have a source of protein, but a lot of people have assumptions and preconceived notions about soy And so they tend to stay away from it. But actually, that's what I recommend. If you do want to replace your milk with plant milk, if you're vegan, for whatever reason, if you are allergic to milk, you're lactose intolerant, go for the soy so that you're still having that protein. And um, calcium absorption was also tested in soy milk. So a lot of times the argument against plant-based sources of many nutrients is that they're not as bioavailable. It's harder for our body to absorb nutrients from plant sources rather than animal sources. And so calcium is harder to absorb from broccoli than it is from milk. But the calcium absorption in soy milk was tested and compared to regular milk, and it was actually very comparable. So you will still get calcium from your soy milk. So soy milk gives you basically everything you need, um, and regular milk is fine if you can tolerate it milk cow's milk and soy milk were also equivalent in bone mineral density growth in a study on rats so milk for bone health yes it can help with that bone mineral density and soy was the one that was just as good as cow's milk almond milk was also compared in that study and was way less it does not help our bones because it doesn't have those same nutrients And then I also did really like the fact that the speakers mentioned the general point of diversifying your diet within a plant-based diet, or if you're eating a regular kind of omnivore diet, it is always going to be healthiest to diversify and to be eating plenty of different types of foods. The next session I went to was optimizing IVF outcomes. And this is something that is not really relevant to the work that I do. Um, I don't typically see clients who are doing IVF, although it's possible certainly that I could, it was really just a topic that I thought was interesting. And I was curious, I haven't heard of this topic of nutrition and IVF and what are they going to say? Um, and I loved it because these speakers really incorporated weight stigma and. diet culture and they they spoke to the common tropes that we hear and how those are not true. So one thing that was mentioned was BMI and how typically we hear, you know, a higher BMI is riskier for pregnancy and doctors will often tell patients to lose weight before they try and get pregnant. But these speakers said, no, research shows that age has a bigger impact than BMI on your chance of getting pregnant. So you should not delay treatment with IVF for weight loss. It is not beneficial to the patient to make them wait longer to try and lose weight rather than just moving forward, even if they are at a high BMI. It's it's not going to help. Um... They did talk about the pro-fertility diet. Certain nutrients, vitamin D, B12, folic acid, having plenty of these nutrients. Full-fat dairy also helps with fertility. And I am just pro-full-fat dairy in general. It helps with satiety. It helps with um, absorption of fat-soluble nutrients. Low-fat dairy just, I don't think really... Excuse me, got a hiccup. I just don't think low-fat dairy really has a... Place in our diet. (laughs) We don't need it. Like, go for the real thing, have the fat, don't be afraid of it. A overall, the the diet that they recommended was a plant-forward diet. I'm gonna say plant-based, meaning the literal definition there of based around plants, but that doesn't mean vegan, that doesn't mean only including plants. Um and they talked about focusing on health, not weight. This is like my everything. Focus on the behaviors that are healthy, leaning towards whole foods, having plenty of plants, decreasing stress, sleeping well, getting movement in, all of these holistic things, everything that is like my jam, my mantra, my everything, that is what you need to focus on. There is not benefit to losing weight before doing IVF. So that was a... um, a great talk. I really enjoyed that one. they did also mention some endocrine disruptors and avoiding those in just your overall lifestyle packaged foods, packages you're using, storing leftovers in glass containers, all of that um, and that you can avoid them for a fairly short time before doing treatment because they these endocrine disruptors have a short half- life, so if you avoid them for three months, they'll be pretty much out of your system and then you can go forward with hopefully better outcomes for IBS. IBS, IVF. (laughs) Clearly, I don't treat IVF much. And clearly, I talk a lot about IBS. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, Okay, the next session I went to was about the male and female athlete triad. And so this is about um, low energy availability was really the main thing they talked about just not which basically is like insufficient caloric intake not having enough energy on board to do what you're trying to do especially in sports this is related to athletes and it's the the triad is that low energy availability which then can lead to reproductive dysfunction which then can lead to poor bone health so for women losing your period having menstrual dysfunction is very common and frequent or recurrent injury also is very common. And so, you know, they mentioned different caloric needs and the baselines and how, you know, what's interesting is they needed to increase energy intake about 20% to have these positive outcomes. So in a study of athletes who had low energy availability They increased their energy and energy, meaning caloric intake by 20%. It was about like 300 calories a day. So it's really not a ton, but it is that 20, like minimum 20% that's needed. The, the intervention that is typically needed to reverse this is 20 to 40% of a nutrient intake increase. And there were benefits. So If you think about a full day of eating, if you are an athlete who is not eating enough and you might not have an injury yet, you might not have lost your period yet, but maybe it's becoming irregular. Maybe you're getting some aches and pains. Maybe you've had one injury and it hasn't come back, but you might be at greater risk and you just don't know. Increasing intake, 300 calories a day. That's like a snack. And if you split that up over meals and snacks, it's really not adding much but it can have such an impact on your health. So if you are an athlete, an active person, even if it's recreationally active, you don't have to be an elite athlete. If you are an active person and you just don't know if you're eating enough, if you've gotten an injury, if you're a female and your period is irregular, whatever, definitely see a dietitian to make sure that you're eating enough because the calorie calculations and stuff, I do not recommend um, you doing those, but it is so helpful to see a dietitian who can assess what you're taking in and what you need and where to make those additions and you know what balance of nutrients you need so that you can really be feeling your best and performing your best and staying active for as long as possible by avoiding injury and avoiding any of these problems. So... One of the last sessions I went to was about male athlete eating disorders, and I think this was my favorite one. I don't have a lot of science to share with you from it, but two men who were former collegiate athletes shared their stories of dealing with an eating disorder and working on recovery from an eating disorder, and it was just really eye-opening to hear how they were treated differently than females who struggle in this regard and the comments that they got from coaches and friends and family and the shame that they felt for needing help or getting help and just how hard it is for males to get help with this. And that was something that I just really loved to hear. I was so glad there was attention brought to it, to the fact that it it is seen as such a failure for males to not have the right body type for that sport, not, you know, do XYZ in the right way. It's just food and body image and performance in athletics is such a sensitive topic. It's all intertwined. And I think that it's easy to forget that men deal with this too. And in a variety of ways, because there are different Body type expectations for every different sport, and so you know it's something that I think we all need to be really aware of, just checking our language, whoever we are around, not making comments to someone just because, oh, he's a guy and he can handle it, but really thinking about how is this going to impact someone? Is this helpful to say every you know one one speaker made a comment and said every guy in the locker room had some form of disorder eating. And this is just so prevalent, you might not realize it, but just like going about your life and censoring your language as if everybody is dealing with some kind of challenge in their relationship with food is probably going to do a lot of benefit to those around you. So that is an overview of the education I got um, at Fency this week. I'm so glad I came there's a lot more there are a couple of sessions that i didn't go through just because i'm tired of talking and because some of it is a little more intricate um that are things that are most useful to see a dietitian for so if any of this is interesting to you if you feel like ooh this is cool like i want to incorporate this into my life but i need more support um reach out i work with clients one-on-one in my private practice. I help them with their relationship with food. I help them eat enough, get balanced in their diet, maintain flexibility, become an intuitive eater, not have disordered eating, but have that positive relationship with food and just really feel confident in the way that you are fueling yourself, nourishing yourself, whether you are someone who is active and an athlete or whether you are just working on feeling better in your body. So If you liked hearing this and you want to work one-on-one and get more support from a dietitian, please reach out. There's a link in the show notes to book a free 15-minute discovery call with me. So we will get on the phone. You'll be able to ask any questions, chat with me one-on-one, hear my thoughts and suggestions for you personally about how to move forward and see if it's a good fit. So that info is in the show notes. Um, You can check it out there as well as my social links and otherwise. I will catch you next time.